Good morning and welcome to Countrywide. This morning, we talk food on the edge with Chef JP McMahon. We meet a Donegal sheep farmer and a surrogate yose. And should I stay or should I go? We hear from GA players about retiring or not. But first, the Irish Farmers Association is the biggest farming organisation in the country. It represents 70,000 farmers and producers across beef, dairy, tillage, pigs, poultry and horticulture. Every four years they elect their president and that president is one of the most influential players in Irish agriculture. I'm here in the community hall in Goresbridge for a hustings. Paddle Tool writes for the Farmers Journal. They're starting to pile in. It's a marathon. There's 18 different hustings. There's over 900 branches across the 29 executives. So the candidates are trying to reach uh, as many voters as they can through these hustings. And uh, they'll be put through their paces. Uh, we'll have the, the minor game first, which is the deputy presidential election between Alice Doyle and Pat Murphy, and then the presidential contest between Francie Gorman and Martin Stapleton. And what do you think is the key to understanding these hustings? About half the people who will be in the room tonight are campaigners. They're involved with one or other of the candidates, and uh, they'll be um, circling around they're neutrals. But the amount of people who've asked me would I wear a sticker. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you would be a celebrity endorsement, I suppose, Brenda, so I can understand that. Hardly. But bar the presidential election for, for the country, there isn't any other election to compare with this. It's a political event, but it seems to be a social event as well. It's very much like people coming into a club match before the match. Everyone's really friendly and their neighbours and from adjoining parishes once the ball is thrown in it'll be hot and heavy and they'll be pulling high and they'll be pulling late and they'll be pulling hard but once the final whistle goes we'll have a cup of tea and everyone will be friends again that's how it works you mentioned that there have been hustings already around the country some of them were hot and heavy is that normal what do you expect this evening the reality is that uh, the two men have a lot of respect for each other and have worked together on the national council for, and on the Na national executive board for the last four years but there's a lot at stake. They've made a huge commitment to this. And of course it gets tetchy. And because there will be 18 of these and they will get to hear each other's speeches and they will hear each other air their views on the various issues, um, it'll get narky. Of course it will. And they'll steal each other's opinions and they'll uh, have, have punchlines and one-liners and they'll try to get it under each other's skin. That's the nature of it. And uh, sure, we're here with popcorn. Well, there are two candidates for president, Francie Gorman and Martin Stapleton. Francie, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Francie Gorman from Ballinakilling County Leash, near Abbey Leaks. I'm married to Kay O'Brien from Kilkenny, as it turns out we're here in Kilkenny tonight. I have a, a son, Tom, nine years of age. We farm about 130 acres of land. I've been passionate about farming all my life, um, never wanted to do anything else. Got involved in IFA and could see a huge value in being involved in the association and how it could deliver for farmers in a positive way. And bit by bit, uh, I ended up taking up roles in it and you're talking to me here tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you could tell me in one sentence why farmers should vote for you rather than your opponent, what would you say? I would say I'm proactive. I get on with people in a good way, I'm a team player, never try to undermine anybody else in the association when we go about doing something. Um, I understand the issues inside out, I understand the association inside out, I can see our faults, see our failings, know how I'd like to improve on them and I promise to give strong ambitious leadership for the association. I think it's something that we haven't 
uh, we've we've slipped up on in the last number of years and I want to set the bar high in terms of how we deliver for farmers and you know if we don't jump it, it won't be for the one to try and and Martin Stapleton, tell me a little bit about yourself. Brenda, I'm Martin Stapleton. I'm a dairy farmer from Oula in County Limerick. I'm married to Siobhan. I have three teenage children. A family farm. Uh, we're there for four generations. Uh, and really proud of the tradition that we've established. So I've always been involved in farm representation. I was county chair in Mokra for a while. I got involved in my co-op, which is Dairy Gold. And then I got involved in IFA. But I've got such satisfaction out of being able to deliver for farmers over the last eight years through my two roles in the IFA uh, as Farm Business Chair and as Treasurer that this is, this is for me the challenge to take on. I believe I can do this better than anybody else. I believe I'm the best man available for the job. And I have a really strong pr- plan as to how I want to modernise the IFA and make it much more fit for purpose in 2024, 5, 6 and 7. And Martin, if you had to say in one sentence why farmers should vote for you rather than your opponent... What would you say? I think my track record of delivery for farmers is much stronger. The experience I gained in being a committee chairman uh, has provided me with the experience to negotiate on behalf of farmers, prioritising what you want and knowing what your bottom line is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight now we have the, the presidential debate. Our candidates tonight are... And the meeting got underway and the atmosphere was intense particularly with questions from the floor. Yeah, uh, John Patrick Kill from Ratsidi and Carlo. So, great people walked to Dublin in 1966 because we needed people to represent us. We needed them then and we need them now. You're two good candidates. And Martin, you mentioned the lack of respect. I'm a Carlo man, I have the Carlo jersey on tonight. You earn respect. You get out there and you fight and you deliver. But most importantly, we need to know where we're going. And this is a question that needs to be addressed in this plan. Down in Johnstown Castle, they said that they anticipate we're going to go back to 170. And if we do that, and if that is allowed to happen, I don't know what sort of an agricultural future any young person has here tonight. Well, politicians and the European Commission getting greener and greener every day. How do you propose to swing those politicians and the Commission back in farmers' favour? Henry Mooney, Balioska Branch. I would like to ask the two candidates to know whose idea was it to bring in the post and vote. I, as somebody who pushed IFA in a little small rural area, thought it was a great opportunity, an excuse to bring in what we all want young lads to meet. And is it to join the Greens that we brought in a hybrid system? The turnout here tonight is great. The room is full. The atmosphere is electric, as you can probably sense. But it's interesting to note that only about 30% of IFA members have voted in the past four elections. Brian Rush is the returning officer. Brian. Well, I suppose if you look at our membership, maybe a roadblock for some people, as people got busier, was that they could only vote in their branch on one single night. So if they weren't available to vote that night, their vote wouldn't be cast. So I suppose as farmers have got busier, as families have got busier, we've seen that becoming more of an issue. 
So this year, our National Council uh, unanimously agreed to facilitate a postal vote. And that, you know, if you want to, if you want to go to your branch, go to your branch and drop off your, po- your ballot. But if you can't get to your branch, you can post it any time you want. And I suppose that's to facilitate a higher turnout. And to, I suppose, to facilitate, you know, the democratic process that the association prides herself on. So, Pat, whether it's a postal vote or not, what way do you think the votes are likely to go in? Sectoral and geographical, I suppose, are the two key ones. So, Francie Gorman is from Leash and he's a dry stock farmer. Martin Stapleton is from Limerick and he's a dairy farmer. Um, there are more dry stock farmers than dairy farmers, but dairy farmers tend to get out and vote. So, the higher the turnout, the better that might be for Francie. But again, a lot of people will form their opinions based on the ability of the candidate. Well, they certainly listened to all the candidates tonight at the meeting. I thought there were four very strong candidates. Mm. So it's very hard. I think it's all going to be very close. I vote for uh, Francis Garman. I think he'd look a real decent, respectable looking fella on television or anywhere. That's my opinion. So we'd look the part. I looked the part. I looked the part. It means an awful amount, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you, yeah, I'm feeling energised now, really and truly, because it was actually the presidential candidates I came to see here tonight and um, Stapleton stood out. He seems to have a plan. To be honest, I'd be, I'd be really considering giving my vote to him. And there will be people will go out tonight with an opinion and maybe it will change again and, you know, right up to the time to go to the ballot box. I have a granny and her granddaughters here. Why did you bring your granddaughters because here? The young people are the future of everything. If you haven't a foundation with the young people, you have nothing. And you bring them along. The meeting tonight, what yeah. did you think? Did you make your mind up? Well, and I, that's why I came, but I'll go home now and I'll think about the two lads. The speakers is very good there tonight, all right, like. You're keeping your cards close to your chest, are you? <laughs> yes, I am, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I must say that that was Gore's Bridge there with the IFA hostings. But I must say, for me, I was never at one before, but I was completely blown away by how engaged every person in the room was with everything that was being said with by all four candidates because the, the vice uh, presidential election as well. So anyway, it's another 60 days until we know the outcome of the IFA presidential election. A lot can happen in that time. We'll keep an eye on the contest here on Countrywide. And it's 48 hours until the start of Food on the Edge at Airfield in Dundrum in Dublin. This is a gathering of chefs and foodies from all around the world. The symposium is curated by Dr JP McMahon, the well-known Galway Michelin star chef. He joins me from RTE Galway Studios this morning. Good morning, JP. Morning, Brenda. How are you? I'm good. I hope you've done your sit-ups and everything this morning. Are you ready to go? Oh, I did a bit of yoga last night now, but I'm a little bit crooked. <laughs> well, look, there's a pair of us then. You're in Galway, I'm in Dublin. I, I, I'm I, just thinking about you. When I think about you, I think about Galway. Uh, but there's a strong link to the greatest county in Ireland, my home county, Kildare. Oh, is that the greatest county in Ireland? Absolutely, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was born in Dublin, so I always try and uh, tell people if I'm, I'm from Dublin, but my wife tells me it's where you went to school. So unfortunately, I went to school in Kildare, so that's where I'm from. Okay, well, you can tog out for the lily soon enough. 
Um, but it, it's funny because I remember my first job in Kildare was in a chippers in Newbridge called uh, the Oscar Oscar Chippers. But your first job was in a restaurant in Kildare, isn't that right? In Maynooth. Yeah, in, in Maynooth. It was called Donatello's. It was run uh, by Antonio, who was a chef from uh, from Naples. And uh, it was really interesting to, I suppose, I mean, there wasn't too much um, diversity around food back then. And... I think following Italian 90, um, the whole country became interested uh, again in, in Italian food and really wholesale. And I think that was about 95 I was working there. And it was great to be, to, I mean, to, I mean, my granny always uh, baked uh, brown bread in her house, but it was great to see kind of white bread and yeast bread and uh, pizzas and all sorts of uh, pasta dishes and that. And it kind of just showed me another side of, of food that was really exciting. And I think that, I mean, I don't think I realised it then, but certainly um, I realise it now was that food was such an, a cultural institution um, for the Italians. And it's something that I still hold with me now. It's funny. Uh, by the way, I, I think Donatella's is still serving in Manute. It's still open. It moved around the corner and uh, actually my brother manages it. <laughs> this, uh, oh and he God, married into the family. the family. I know, I know. Listen, he, he married into the family and all of us worked there though. Uh, my father was a scientist and I don't know how three of us own restaurants and one of us manages. So there's only two other uh, children left that are not in restaurants so I don't know how that happened but needs must. Um, so every one of the family of the six of us, of four of us are in restaurants and one of us, five of us were, but one of them, one of us escaped. <laughs> and we're, we're talking about the Italian food culture. And I mean, we know it. We know the pizzas, the pastas, the breads, everything. It's part of us. But when you think about a, a food culture in Ireland, you know, meat and veg, potatoes, do we have a food culture? Oh, we absolutely do have a food culture and Katie McGuinness wrote a very good article recently with that title, Do We Have a Food Culture? And um, I said to her, like, whether you, whether you like it or not um, and it's good or it's bad, every every people around the world, once they start eating, they have a food culture. So there is a culture of eating, the culture of food. Um, I, I think the reason why possibly we don't celebrate food as much in that kind of nationalistic way is very much because, I mean, national food food cultures kind of emerged over the last 200 years and the last 200 years in Ireland probably weren't the best for food in relation to the famine and all that and while we were kind of in the the kind of uh, in the dregs of the famine these 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 countries were coming together and building up their um, their kind of profile and so when you come into the 20th century it appears that we have nothing and, and they had everything but I, I think I always try and take the long view of of history and uh, people have been in Ireland 10,000 years and to try and say we didn't have a food culture because we had a famine 150 years ago is is nonsense and I think that there's so many um, interesting moments in um, in Irish history where food is a pivotal uh, pivotal part so there is culture there and I think we just need to become more confident around it and and tell the stories about it and then I think we'll we, we'll we'll embrace it I think that's happening anyway and interesting because you're talking about telling the stories around food and that is the theme of Food on the Edge and you're going to be sharing some life lessons on a panel called Chef Wise which I really like the name what life lessons are you going to be sharing JP? 
Um, I, I think the on the, on the broad side of things, I think the importance of food and the importance of storytelling for food. I mean, my kind of central epiphany around food is uh, is actually the first time I ever had spaghetti bolognese, and that was in I think it was in Shea's hands in Cashel um, when I was eight or nine, and I I just remember there was something being really different because we all grew up with your as you said the meat and the two veg and the fish mm. on Fridays, and I had this and I was like it was like a little epiphany. I was like, oh my god, food can be something that's really exciting it can be it can tell a story it can it can allow you into a window into another culture and I think I'll be trying to get people to to kind of realise that themselves because everyone has a food story and even if you sit down and you start writing down like what's my food story I mean what did I cook with my grandmother what, 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 what did we eat at home, uh, all of that is a really important um, story, and I think then in w- regard to the industry, what the I suppose the what I'll be sharing is um, is I think we need to be more sustainable in terms of the way in which we run the industry, and I said this in in the book, Chef Wise. Uh, it's it's a, it's a collection of I suppose uh, quotes by by chefs on 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 the whole industry, and it, there's no point in having sustainable projects if if you don't have sustainable people you know and I think for a long time the industry has seen um, its players as um, I suppose as uh, as dispensable you know it's uh, you just someone else comes in and they keep the show going and there's bullying and shouting and screaming and that kind of like stereotypical attitude we have of 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 the of the shouting chef and for me there's no shouting at all in any of our kitchens and they're very calm places and I think that going forward we need to we need to have fun you know I mean I'm not saying it's a barrel of laughs and all that uh, trying to retain a Michelin star but at the same time I do remind the guys look we're, we're, we're not saving the world we're not rocket scientists you know <laughs> we're, we're, we're making food we're trying to make people happy we're trying to tell them stories about Ireland through our food and um, I think that's uh, that's really important even though my daughter tells me now she's 14 that she just, food doesn't need a story she just, she just wants a pizza yeah. and she doesn't she goes you can keep the story yourself uh, so I, that's what I'm dealing with <laughs> the, the keep me on the ground absolutely and um I'm just looking at you during COVID, right? I don't know about many people. I just about managed to homeschool. I think that was what my minor achievement. But you actually managed to do a PhD during COVID. And one of the things you did is you wrote an Irish play called uh, Irish Food, a play. And that's going to be read on Food of the Edge as well. Um, can you tell me a little bit all about that, your interest in playwriting, your COVID PhD. I mean, JP, I'm kind of exhausted already and it's not half eight. Oh, no, stop. I'm always exhausted. Maybe it's because I'm trying to do too much. But I know I failed at the homeschooling. Oh, my God, I was the worst homeschooler in oh. the whole world. Uh, maybe that's because Actually, I was doing I took a, PhD. a picture of gin. I was drinking a glass of gin at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was only pretend, it was only pretend to say um, I'm homeschooling. Mom, yeah. my, 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 one young, my young one just kept telling me that I wasn't doing it right. It wasn't no. the way the teacher did it. So I, therefore it was wrong. Um, and I said, just look it up on YouTube. And she said, that's cheating. And I was like, well, I mean, we have to cheat. But uh, yeah, no, I've always had an interest in drama um, since I was 20. And I suppose if things had been different, I would have uh, loved to be involved in the in that, in that industry. But... Um, 
um, it kind of comes out in the in the restaurant and in in, in what we do. But um, I, I did a PhD in in University of Galway on actually on playwriting uh, and kind of drama and food. So I wrote this this play about Irish food and how I wrote it was I did a survey. It's not your kind of uh, your kind of everyday play where you have characters and all that. Um, I did 330 surveys and I got all these answers about Irish food and how it related to culture and what your first memory was and what you ate as a child and and then I cut them all up and I put them together like a big stream of consciousness thing wow. and then I inserted my, all my own memories so it's a little bit dark in places and it's funny um, and we put it on for the Dublin Fringe Festival in 2019 and then it was supposed to be on in an year in March 2020 and we all know what happened in March 2020 so listen Covid was was a really difficult time for for an year. We closed for eighteen months, um, but at the same time, I don't think I would have finished um, the PhD. And I think it's good. Um, I, it's always something I wanted to do. I have no idea why I did it. I just had. I just wanted to do it. And um, I blame my father. He's an academic, so <laughs> he never told me to do it. I just like maybe it was subconscious. Maybe he knew. I just like subconscious messages. It's um, all creative. It's all creative, JP. I, I, and yes. I, can I just say one thing? I know you're a Beckett fan. I just want to remind people that there's a Beckett season from RT1 drama. It continues tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on Radio 1 and that particular programme that's on tomorrow night is curated by John Bowman and he does interviews with people who remember the playwright. I I, I am kind of short on time but I I do want to talk about the food and hospitality industry and the pressure they're under, the rising costs, wages, rents, the VAT rate. Are you worried about the future, your yeah. future. Like I personally, an ear like has a Michelin star and it has a lot of American guests, and so I, I think the high end restaurants will be affected less than uh, we have Cava, which is a very popular restaurant that would that is affected has been affected a lot more. And then when you once you move outside Galway, I think rural restaurants are going to be affected, and, and pubs you can't forget because they serve food as well. Like the the pressure on the industry is 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 relentless since COVID. You've had like we've just reopened, and then we had the war in the Ukraine, and you. Had price inflation then you had wage inflation uh, then you had the VAT going up and then you have the minimum wage going up so all of it it's like a perfect storm and it, it's it, like the industry is diff- is difficult at times and I think sometimes we the Irish public kind of uh, don't let up and they think restaurants restaurateurs are making millions and, and all that and I, I'm, I'm very transparent and like I mean the, the returns are about 3 or 3 to 5 percent and like banks don't invest in restaurants so if you want to know who's making the money go to the bank um, but look, it, it is difficult. I think we're we're at a kind of um, a kind of point in in Irish in Irish food culture where we have to, I think, push through. The last twenty years has has, has been great in terms of the amount of restaurants, the amount of chefs, the amount of like. We now we have a food course in in Cork on Irish food. You can do a masters in Irish food, and so there's so much going. And as you said, it's all creativity and art. Do you know, it's it's we we really need to see food as an art form, the way the French and the Italians and the Spanish see it and embrace it and mix it up in photography and radio and TV and all of that and I think then we'll really I suppose come to come to our own and I think that's what we try and do at Food on the Edge and uh, uh, we still have tickets available so if anyone is interested in food and they're around Dublin, Dundrum or Airfield Estate um, you can get, you can get a day ticket for the Monday or the Tuesday there's an artisan village you'll get fed you'll have chats your brain will be melted it's like a big think tank <laughs> 
uh, for two days. So, yeah, anyone, I, people think they're not involved in food, but even if you're designing an app that's a food app, you're, you're involved in food and, and food touches every single one of us. Absolutely. And it's foodontheedge.ie. And just before I take a break, JP, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I have a cup of coffee in front of me um, and I'm a very bad breakfast person. Uh, sometimes I do have a bit of toast in that, but, but late nights, No you know, avocado uh, on oh, bagels. I, I would be strung up if I ate an avocado now. I'd, I, as much as I'd love a poached egg, but um, <laughs> no, no, I, I I will have some breakfast when uh, when I go home. And there's also, but Gabriel Byrne is in that Beckett film that's coming out on November the 3rd. Uh, if anyone is a Beckett fan listening, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, the, uh, it was a Think First Dance, oh, Dance, well, I can't remember the title of it but anyway yeah. Gabriel Byrne and Beckett Listen JP we could talk for hours but I can't because oh, I, I have I to know. take a break Listen go home enjoy your piece of toast and remember Food on the Edge foodontheedge.ie there's some tickets left a pleasure to talk to you Good morning JP Email countrywide at rte.ie and you're very welcome back to the programme. You can contact us here, 51551, and our email is countrywide at rte.ie. Now, the dust has settled on Budget 2024, so what does it mean for farming? Niall Hurston is a rural affairs journalist with the Irish Independent. He joins me. Good morning, Niall. Morning, Brenda. Right, there's less money for agriculture in this budget. Why was that? There is, and that comes down to the Brexit Adjustment Reserve, which is worth £240 million. Um, And a lot of that would have went to the marine side of the department's budget. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, we're looking at 2% of the government's overall expenditure uh, devoted to agriculture. And look, I don't think it's helpful maybe to, to vilify the minister of the department on this occasion. It was a, a very competitive um you know, field field to play there with health getting a massive boost in budget and, and probably rightly so. Um, but look, in, in, for farmers in real terms, this will be, you know, a huge hit because inflation is running at 5% also. So they can't really afford to be, be having any reduction in budget, especially with the environmental challenge we have and other financial costs that are being faced on farms. And there's less money on the table. Um was there anything there that pleased any section of the farming industry? Yeah, so sheep farmers got a, a boost um, by eight euro per yo, bringing the the sheep improvement scheme to to twenty euro per yo. So look, that scheme has various actions like you know improving lameness control and, and purchase of genotyped rams. Um, and look, the the sector sector uh, also wasn't forgotten, despite the 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 Brexit adjustment reserve, the loss of it. Um, the the department has decided to um, pick up the slack there with an additional €50 Euro per cow. Um, but there is some glimmers of hope there as well. This Climate and Nature Fund, which is worth £3.15 billion, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it now. It won't come into play until 2026. I know. It was a big talking point down at the IFA hostings meeting I was at on Thursday night is how are they going to get or what are they going to get in terms of the climate and nature fund? How are they going to access it? That remains to be seen. Look, Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnell has said there's real potential there for farmers in it. 
Uh, Minister Eamon Ryan said that rewetting and forestry uh, are among the priorities. Um, so if that's, that's the detail we have on it at the mm. moment, um, I'd say that's the safest bet would be on anything that reduces the emissions, which is basically everything we're trying to achieve in farming. So it'll be a matter of who can shout the loudest and who can fight the hardest to get the, the biggest share of that pot uh, come 2026. And I'm just wondering for the farmers who worried about the nitrates derogation and the impact and the changes in the number of cows that they can stock on their land, was there any comfort for them? Because they can shout very loud. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, look, there was and there wasn't. Uh, Tarnish and Michael Martin had said that the government would look uh, to see what could be done to alleviate pressure in this budget. And one measure they have brought in now is um, a new TAM ceiling and it's separate to the, the rest of TAMs uh, at 70% for installing slurry storage for, for farmers looking to import um, slurry from these derogation farms. But that, that isn't a perfect solution either because the, the quantity of slurry that has to be taken off these farms in order to, to meet the new uh, 220 kilos of nitrogen per hectare limit that's been imposed on these farmers is colossal. Um, and also the loss in that nutrient value and the, the ability to find suitable farms to, to receive this slurry. So, mm. no, to be honest, there, there hasn't been much in this budget to relieve that anxiety. ICMSA President Pat McCormick said that the government has completely failed uh, to recognise pressures on these farmers. And I suppose there were other big talking points, um, the land tax, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the government has moved to try and deter uh, businesses from, from buying up land um, with a, a change in, in that tax. I think you have to own the land for uh, a minimum of seven years. But I don't think that really will make a difference because businesses are using this as a long-term transfer of uh, of wealth anyway. So uh, it, you can imagine that the, the land market isn't going to cool off as a no. result of that. But uh, other farm taxes have been rolled over, like the Consan Gwynethy relief um, has been extended up until 2028, which supports the transfer um, of family farms. And that other controversial residential uh, zoned land tax has been pushed out until 2025 as well. So that will be welcome. I think the tillage farmers were very disappointed. They've had a very tough year. They have. They've, they've had a horrendous year in terms of their harvesting their crops and, and getting seed into the ground. And look, the, the budget didn't bring uh, good news from either. That tillage incentivization scheme um, has been worth over 10 million in, in the past. And look, farmers are, are, are only uh, open to 8 million in 2024. And that scheme is for um, incentivizing farmers to, to get into tillage and to retain those who are already there. So, um, and, and also the government's policy going forward is to try and get as much farmers into tillage. So, yeah, no, that's a, a confusing one to, to see a two million drop in, in funding for those farmers, especially. And yeah, and let's not forget the hike in carbon tax on agri-diesel. There's a lot to talk about, Niall. Thank you so much for joining us on Countrywide this morning. Um, that's Niall Hurston there, Rural Affairs Journalist with the Irish Independent. And now we first met Maura McElhone about six years ago on Countrywide. She was falling for a farmer back in those days. Now she's happily married with two young boys living on a farm in County Kildare. How time flies. But the boys are now past that new baby stage and Maura wanted to do something special with the baby clothes that held such memories. 
she discovered Let's Match Mums, which is a website that matches local mums with new mums who are living in direct provision and who really need the clothes for their newborns. Maura registered online and started washing and folding and packing the baby clothes. Little vests and baby grows, cotton bibs and blankets, gently washed and line dried in the sun. Brilliant white and as soft to touch as the skin of the newborn baby who wore them only yesterday. Except yesterday was a year ago and that same baby now crawls full pelt across the bedroom floor while I sort through the clothes that no longer fit him. Tiny outfits pre-loved, now ready to be loved all over again. I meet her on a Sunday. Her first baby is due in four months. She has little to no English and we communicate using a translation app on her phone. But this meeting isn't about words. I watch her play peekaboo with my child. When he beams at her, all eyes and gums and chubby cheeks, she claps her hands to her mouth as if startled. But I can see the delight in her eyes. I stay quiet. When she turns to me, I raise my brows and mimic cradling a baby in my arms. Do you want to hold him? Her eyes light up and she smiles, nods. I lift him, wriggling, out of his buggy and place him in her outstretched arms. She gives him a gentle squeeze. I wish I could tell her she will be a wonderful mother. I hand her two bags, one filled with clothes for baby and the other with maternity clothes. She thanks me and thanks me again. And again. We go our separate ways. Living on the farm now, year in, year out, seasons shape my family life. But the repetition can play tricks with your mind. Two years have passed since we moved out here, then just a family of three, now we are four. I don't feel two years older, and yet my boys are living proof, beautiful, joyful proof that I must be. In our house, time doesn't march on so much as race. Up and down the garden we run, my eldest son and me. I let him win these days, but that won't last for long. Soon, he'll outrun me with ease. It's a funny thing loving a child, never wanting them to grow up, knowing they must, and that life will carry them to places beyond your protection. I think of my friend, looking through the little outfits and imagining what life might be like once baby arrives. I find happiness in the thought that those same soft fabrics and garments that kept my baby warm in his first weeks and months will do the same again for her little one. I love that those first chapters of our family's stories are intertwined, woven together like the threads of the clothing itself. Because this is Ireland now, where the tradition of passing on a baby's pre-loved clothes is long-standing, only now it extends beyond family and friends, to those who have come here seeking refuge. I think of my friend, and of her baby Jew, any day now. A new baby, bringing light and love and hope. And I hope that she finds a deep connection to this country, which my children and hers will share and know as home. I think I'm having a moment there. Thank you so much. That was Maura McElhone there. And um, beautiful, beautiful little essay about uh, your baby's clothes and the comfort of 
passing them on. That was gorgeous. Anyway, text in here. Good morning, Brenda. Could you kindly give a plug and say hello to the people of Urgolin in County Carlow in the Carlow Union of Parishes as they prepare for the blessing of their pets this Sunday, 15th of October at 11am with Carlow SPCA. Thank you. And that's from Jane Kelly Hammond and all the wonderful staff. Pleasure to do it, uh, Jane. Um, and I wonder, will you and many people, we'll all be watching Ireland versus the All Blacks on the TV tonight. River dancing as they do their hacker, cheering on the Irish rugby team. And, you know, I think part of the emotion of this World Cup is known that for Johnny Sexton, this is his very last tournament at 38. He is now the oldest player to ever have played rugby for Ireland and every match could be his last. But whether you play on the international stage or for your local GA club, it's a momentous decision in a player's life. Should you retire or should you keep going? Well, Mary Giff- Griffin plays for Shinnehoe. GA club in County Leash and she is staying I think for the moment and Ronan Kenny he plays for Mohill GA club in County Leitrim and last Saturday both of them won their club county championships congratulations first of all uh, Mary good morning to you tell me a little bit about you know whether you're on the sidelines about staying or going set the scene for me yeah, I suppose um, every year it, it kind of comes to your your attention, you know, that um, you're not a spring chicken anymore. And in what way? In what 40, way, Mary? In in what way? I turned forty two say this year, and I have been playing since nineteen ninety four with my club. So decisions come, and your priorities change a little bit, and you have family. I have three kids: Annie, Tom, and Breed. And every year they're kind of coming to the fore of the, with their own little games as well. And it's just time, even though I enjoy it, it's my space. I, I get my outlet um, when I'm out in the football field. You just switch off for that bit of time. It's an escape um, for me. So, you know, just what you were saying about retirement, it's, it's a tough one for you when you're playing that long. And again, you get such enjoyment out of it. So every every year, it, it, it's a question that comes to my attention. And not just me, it's anyone, my teammates that say, well, are you giving it one more year? And I suppose I, I like the idea that we went on, we won the county final last weekend against St. Joseph. And you're kind of on a high at the moment and that's the way I'd like to go out too but it'll it'll all determine when it comes to January maybe. Yeah, you don't want to kind <laughs> you know, of leave how you feel. Yeah, lost a semi-final like you, you've won. And yeah. 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 Yeah, and so like has the Ronan. previous year. Yeah, go on, tell Ronan, me yeah. just briefly before no, just I to, say hello to Ronan. Uh, yeah, no, like last year I was in the semi final and I did my MCL and my knee and I um, tore cartilage and I was advised, you know, maybe, you know, this was it. But it, it's just for yourself and for personal um, achievements that you've 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 played so many years, you've achieved so much, be it county level, club level. It's very hard being so competitive and I suppose it's ingrained in you that you just don't want to quit and you just want one more go at it and give it a go and when you're still able to contribute to a scoreline it's it is hard to step away and as I said um it's your outlet as well and if you don't have that you're you can 
feel a little bit um, excluded even from your community because it's a big deal when you win with your club. And it is. You know, you and have, I heard you, you scored six that. points. And Ronan, <laughs> Ronan Kenny, yeah. your Mohill uh, GA, congratulations, county champions in Leitrim. But you have decided to much. retire, Ronan. Can you tell us why? And what age I'm are there. you? Sorry, I shouldn't really ask that. It sounds a bit bold, but go ahead. Well, Mary there has put me to shame altogether. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All but, of us. Uh, no, listen, I'm only, I'm only 35, but uh, like I say, it was my 20th year this year. And uh, like Mary said, this was just life has to move on a certain stage. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I don't have any kids or anything like that. And listen, I suppose the way my life is, I could continue. But um, I suppose other things just start to take over. And unless you're willing to give 100%, I think you'd be letting... You'd be letting everybody else in the dressing room and all everybody else that's around the club down if, if you weren't able to give give everything to it. And uh, I suppose I just feel at the time now, like last weekend was such a high and everything that went with it, it was, uh, I suppose, go before you're pushed. Um, leave on your own note, I suppose. But um, it's, uh, yeah, Mary there is really putting me to shame now. I'll be getting, I'll be getting a few messages now. <laughs> you telling certainly me that will. Go on, Mary. <laughs> Listen, you won the man of the match in your game. But you did something special with the trophy. And I think this is something that will resonate with so many people listening to the programme when kind of big moments of their lives, you know, maybe their children's or a birthday party, they look around and there's somebody there they wish was there but isn't. Can you explain, Ronan, what you did? Yeah, listen, I suppose the first thing that anybody said to me after the final whistle was was the first people came over to me and they said, oh, your mother would be so proud of you. And it was... It, she instantly came to my mind anyway, but it, it was, um, you know, it's an amazing thing in a small community. There, there's no community in Ireland hasn't been affected by loss or tragedy or anything like that, or any family for that matter. And um, she just came to my mind straight away. And, and uh, I know a, a teammate of mine had done it a couple of years ago and I hadn't even dreamt of ever getting a man the match award in the county final. It was a dream come true, really. Um and just, yeah, it just came to my head. I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be stopping in the graveyard on the way home with the cup. Myself and Captain Shane Quinn went in and uh, Kieran Boxy Baxter, <laughs> a local <laughs> institution, went in to the graveyard and just stopped off at my mother's grave and took a picture and I sent it into the family WhatsApp group and we knew she'd be proud. And um, yeah, listen, a small club like this, it, it means everything to people like that who were involved in the club. And uh, our pitch is named after Philly McGuinness there in, in Mohull. And uh, he'd lost his life tragically as well in a football game back in 2010. And we just stopped over at his grave as well. And it's, it's uh, those are the moments that, that mean a lot in uh, in times when there's so much joy and atmosphere going around the place just to take a few moments to remember those who aren't with us anymore. And uh, yeah, it just came to my head and look at it. It's I've got messages from all over the country from people who say, said it resonated with them, and that's you know that's what it's really all about at the end of the day. Absolutely, and uh, Ronan, thank you so much, and I wish you good luck and your enjoyment. And now you'll be able to have a drink or two at a wedding. <laughs> but Mary, that's for sure. Mary, it's not over for you. You're you're heading out to play in a Camogie semi-final today. There's no stopping yeah. you. <laughs> oh God, I don't know about that, but yeah, we're I play with um, my local Camogie club, Club Balakala, and we're playing cameras um, at one o'clock today. <laughs> so I have to put the helmet on now and get the the hurley out. So it's a well, little. Listen, make sure you have a bit of breakfast right. first. Thank you both, oh, Ronan. <laughs> Thank you, Mary, and good luck with Thank everything you. you do. And I appreciate you sharing it 
talking to us this morning on Countrywide because that is all we have for this morning. On sound was Carol O'Hare. Our broadcast coordinator was Amadine Passa-Devine. The programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. Next up here on RT Radio 1 is Playback with Evelyn O'Rourke. Until I speak to you again next week, come on Ireland and thank you for listening. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.